Well, good morning. Yes, um, I want to say I'm glad to be with you, but not necessarily because Matt has COVID, so <laughs> he asked me to preach on whatever I wanted to preach on, so hey, here we go. <laughs> I'd like to pray, and then, yes, good morning. I'd like to pray, and then we will jump into the Word together. Let's pray. Father, we have worshipped you through song. We've worshipped you through our interactions with our brothers and sisters. And we'll steal our hearts now before you as we look into your word. We pray, dear Father, that you would speak. We pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts. We pray that you would literally help us to be doers of your word and not hear us only. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to obey that which your word calls us to obey here today. Pray for myself, Father, help me to be clear with the word that you have given me to share with our brothers and sisters here together. I ask that you'd be glorified. May the words of our lips, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing before you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So some of you will know last week, last weekend was Pentecost weekend. And so Pentecost weekend, basically uh, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus spoke to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And Jesus said, Therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you always to the end of the age. This Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And then we jump into the book of Acts just before Jesus goes up into heaven. He tells his disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Spirit of God comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And then he asks, and then Jesus goes. And then in Acts 2, the disciples are hanging out in the upper room. And Jews from other parts of the world had gathered in Jerusalem so that they would celebrate the Passover feast. And as these Jews are there gathered... The Spirit of God comes upon the disciples in the upper room, and then they leave the upper room, and then they go into the city, into the streets, and proclaim Christ. And then as they proclaim Christ, about 3,000 people become Christian. So, last Sunday, 2,000 years ago, last Sunday, that's what happened. And so last Sunday, Christians were celebrating the, uh, the Pentecost. So the question is, why am I sharing this with you? The reason I'm sharing all this with you is this. The gospel of Jesus compels us to go. So the, the, the sermon title for me today is basically go. And you'll figure out why. Now many churches will have what they call or what we would call a discipleship pathway. Meaning when you come to church, if you're new in the faith and you're coming to church, what's the goal the discipleship pathways in many churches will have all sorts of names, but they can all be boiled down to these three names, gather, grow, and go. So gather, meaning healthy disciples intentionally gather in communities to worship God. So healthy disciples intentionally gather in community to worship God. So this means on a weekend on Sunday, um, if, it's, if it's Sunday and you're in the community, hey, you want to come to church and worship God with the people of God here. But let's say you're on vacation, summer is coming, you probably have some trips planned and things like that. Wherever you go for vacation, 
on Sunday. Don't take a vacation from God on Sunday. Find a community near where you're vacationing and go and worship God on Sunday at that particular community. So why? Healthy disciples intentionally gather in community to worship God. So that's gather. Second, grow. So when you talk about grow, basically healthy disciples grow in their knowledge of God and in their relationship with Jesus. Healthy disciples grow in the knowledge of God and in their relationship with Jesus. So how do you do that? So David was here, shared some books. So of course, read Read books that will articulate the gospel. Read books on theology. Read biographies of men and women who have gone before us, who've lived a faithful life. But most churches will have different programs like women's Bible study, men's Bible study. Even where kids are right now, our children are somewhere in this building learning about Jesus. What are they doing? They are growing in their knowledge of God. So healthy disciples do what? They grow in their knowledge of God and their relationship with Jesus. Then finally, which has something to do with what we are talking about today, healthy disciples go and make other healthy disciples. So healthy disciples go and make other disciples. And that's why here at Tri-City, what's uh, on the wall over here? You know, we exist. Why? To make Jesus known. We exist to make Jesus known. So it's not just to make Jesus known when we are in this building here, but to make Jesus known when we leave. And we are now in our workplaces, in our communities, in our schools. We exist to make Jesus known. We go and make disciples. So today's passage, which happens to be Romans chapter 10, verse 12 to 15, will give us two very compelling reasons why we should go. Why we should go and make disciples. Now remember again, because of Pentecost Sunday, because of what happened 2,000 years, we have the Spirit of God who will enable us and equip us to go and make those disciples. So Romans 10, 12 to 15. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? There ends the reading of God's word. All right. I will say this, uh, we all, we all have um, individuals whom sometimes would look at and we would wonder, is this individual going to become a Christian if I share Jesus? Now I have a, um, a shameful uh, confession that I will share with you. So I live in Abbotsford. In Abbotsford we have a lot of immigrants who are there, a lot of minorities who are in Abbotsford, lots of, lots of them. Many would be Punjabi Sikh individuals. And so sometimes I'll be driving, and then I'll stop at a store, maybe Savon or Costco, and I'm buying groceries, and I have my buggy. And I'll be looking at different people, and so what has been a habit for me is when I'm looking at different people, I don't know who they are. Maybe some faces I've never seen before. And I wonder, will this person ever become a Christian? Has anyone ever prayed for this person would be the thoughts running through my head. 
and so I'd say a quick prayer for this person if they're not Christian. So on a Sunday morning, even as I was driving from Abbotsford here and I was driving past various communities and then I got on the freeway and I'm seeing all these vehicles, all these people driving by me or me passing them on the freeway and I kept wondering, are they driving to church? Are they driving to work? Will they ever worship the Lord Jesus Christ? I keep wondering. But shamefully, sometimes I would look at, say, an immigrant and I'd wonder, uh, is this granddad ever going to know the gospel? And even if I share the gospel, would they really become a Christian? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe I would share the gospel with their son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter. Maybe their grandchildren would be most receptive to the gospel because maybe they are Canadianized. But granddad, uh, I think granddad is too committed or too steeped in his religious um, beliefs to believe the gospel. Therefore, I don't want to offend granddad. So I'm not going to share. There are two compelling reasons from this text. The first, the gospel brings salvation to all peoples. The gospel brings salvation to all peoples. And I put an S by the peoples there to say every nation, tribe, and tongue. So every single individual. The gospel brings salvation to all peoples. Look at verse 12, 13. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Meaning the Jews who are natural Jews and, 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 and uh, the Greek would be the Gentiles. So everybody else who's non-Jew would fall into this category. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Why? For the same Lord is Lord of all. So in other words, Jesus is Lord even over this grandpa whom I'm thinking there's no way they'll become a Christian. Jesus is Lord over him. Lord over all peoples. Even those who may claim to be atheists, Jesus is Lord over them according to this text. And what does he do? He bestows riches. On all who call on his name. What are these riches? His grace, mercy, and love, and eternal life. The forgiveness he extends to people. Why? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, including this old man, including this old man, including this hipster. (laughs) Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let me ask this question. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God can save that guy? Like, I want you to think about someone in your life who's not a Christian. Someone who you're like, there's no way, Ezra. Think about that person in your mind right now. Do you really believe that verse 12 and 13... Particularly verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will say, do you believe that this verse can be true for that person? See, the gospel will save even the most unlikely person. So I'll give you an example. In about late um, 1990s, so we're talking 95, 96, there was a new movement, new musical genre that a lot of young people really gravitated to. And this musical genre was known as new metal. Now, some of you may not know what new metal is. Well, do you know this? Like the guitar is like it's rock, hardcore rock music. And it was popularized by a group called Korn. And some of you might know Korn, the group. 
This is not music to be enjoyed. <laughs> Why am I saying that? Because the, the lead singer would sing, would rap, would scream, and even growl. And the band will have all sorts of makeup on and face painting and piercings and tattoos everywhere. And their hair would be crazy, their eyes wide open, shirtless sometimes. And their concerts were wild. And we are talking 60,000 people. So think BC Place packed to the rafters. And they're all yelling and screaming and they're all high. Their, 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 their concerts would have Christians standing outside of the venue with boards saying this is satanic music because when you look at the band, you would think they're possessed, literally. They are jumping and shaking and sweating and growling like what in the world? <laughs> this is not a concert that you'd invite your grandma. No way. <laughs> well, one of the band leaders... His name is Brian Welsh. So Brian was at the height of this band. So we are talking now the 2000, 2003. He is richer than rich. Popular. Every single magazine that had to do with music. Corn was front page. He was rich and popular. Their music, yeah, you would not enjoy, but man, there were people who loved Corn. And so with all this money and he was into drugs and alcohol and all of it, now he began to worship the money he was making. And so he decided he wants to invest this money. And so what did he do? He now got into partnership with other investors so they could buy property. And so they did because he really wants to build on the millions he has. Little did he know that some of those investors were Christian. So the Christian investors invite this guy to come to church now. Brian shares later that when, before his conversion, he'd be flipping through channels on his hotel when they're on tour, and he'd come to this Christian channel, and he would mock Christianity constantly, like how, how stupid it is, and how idiotic it is, and how backward it is. Like he mocked Christianity left, right, and center. And so now he's been invited to church, and he's coming off a crystal meth high. When he comes to church. So he walks into church and he sits at the back. Now this is someone who if he were to walk in here. You'd all know someone's walked into the room. Because of the way he looks. The face painting, tattoos everywhere. Hair is crazy. Piercings, the whole works. And he would sit at the back. And he began just kind of chuckling to himself. Like oh look at them singing now. Oh look at the band singing. Wow. And then the preacher came and he preached a simple gospel message. Nothing to write home about. Just a simple gospel message. And as the preacher was preaching and Brian was at the back there kind of mocking what was going on. All of a sudden his head goes like this. He's coming off a high. He's hearing the gospel. But now he's hearing God. So as the service is coming to an end. Brian is now unsettled. He's not the same guy who walked in. So he goes back home at the end of the service. That night, he never slept a wink. He prayed all night on his knees, crying, repenting for his sins. To date, Brian is still a Christian. 
He, if you saw him, would be the most unlikely person to become a Christian. He's a famous rock band, um, a famous rock band member with millions in the bank and a huge following with a massive band that was constantly on magazines. Music that some of you may not necessarily enjoy, but there was a huge following. And right in the middle of the height of his success, Brian becomes a Christian. Why? He heard the gospel. The most unlikely of individuals to become a Christian. See, the Lord has granted me grace to travel through my work to countries where the gospel has not reached. So I've been to northern India. Remember this grandfather who was telling you about Turban? Uh, so committed to his Sikhism. Someone whom I'd look at and think, oh, there's no way he's becoming a Christian. Yeah, I preached in churches in India with men like him. Seated on the floor with feet crossed, Bible open, hands up, tears running, worshiping Jesus. I could not believe. I wept. Shame on you, Ezra, for assuming the gospel cannot transform this man's life. I've been to Turkey. Turkey is one of the most... Uh, Turkey, the, the, the people of Turkey would claim that Turkey is the most Islamic country on earth. There is a mosque on every, on every block in Turkey. You look around, you will see it. Anywhere in town, you look around, there's one, there's one, there's one. Any direction, you will see a mosque. I sat in a church with brothers and sisters in the faith, each one of them having been a Muslim before, and Christ would have transformed their lives and have come to saving faith. Some of them at great danger to their own lives that have come to know Jesus, been to Romania, and right there, different individuals who were atheists committed to communism that Nikolai Ceausescu was selling. And these individuals, they begin to tell you testimony after testimony as to how many of them wished to kill Christians even. And now they've come to saving faith. This Jesus they used to persecute, they've now transformed their lives, and now they're following Jesus, been to Uganda. Sitting in a room, in, in a tent, sorry, with pastors who used to be witch doctors. Some who would slaughter children every week as a sacrifice to the gods. And now they've become Christians. This Christ whom they used to reject has transformed them. I come to North America and I find you. In this culture that is so full of hedonism and individualism, where it's all, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, I want to be happy, and if, if it means I divorce my spouse, I'll divorce my spouse. Why? Because I want to be happy. In this culture, where it's all about you and nothing but you, there is you, whom God called from this so pagan, so atheist culture, and here you sit. The point being, the gospel brings salvation to all peoples. 
Every single one, every tribe, nation, tongue. That's why verse 12, 13, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all. Lord of all. Every single one. Do you believe that? Because surely if you believe that, you will go, won't you? If you truly believe that the gospel brings salvation to all people, man, we will go. But that's not the only reason. Reason number two, compelling reason number two is the gospel is to be proclaimed. So if the gospel then brings salvation to all people, therefore the gospel is to be proclaimed to all people. The gospel then ought to be proclaimed to all people. So I have a friend who invited me over to his house. And so we're talking about all sorts of things, sports, uh, kids, you know, just the, the regular banter. And then he said, t- telling me about his neighbor, oh, my neighbor, this, that, and the other, COVID, you know, and he was stuck in the house, blah, blah, all those pieces. Then I said, okay, so have you shared the gospel with your neighbor? Ah, you know, right now I'm trying to just live the gospel. I'm just trying to live my life, live the gospel in front of my neighbor. Now, let me just pause there and say this. There is no one who, none of us can live the gospel. There's only one person who lived the gospel. That person is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who lived out the gospel. We live the implications of that gospel that Christ lived out. So he meant to say, yeah, I'm living out the implications of the gospel. In other words, you know, I'm going to help him mow the lawn when he can't mow the lawn. And you know when it's garbage day, so let's say garbage day is Monday. So today is Sunday. So you take your garbage, you put it in the curb, and you go in, you take it on sun, a Sunday night so that on Monday, because the truck comes really early and you know you wake up a little bit late, and so you just want to get enough, like get quick, dressed, and out you go. You don't want to uh, bother yourself with all the garbage because it's out, but maybe you have raccoons in your neighborhood, and so they come and they topple over your, your garbage, and your garbage is everywhere, and your neighbors are like, oh dear, did you look at their garbage? Yikes. So he says, oh, I'll clean that up for my neighbor. I'll do all these nice things. I'll invite my neighbor over for appies and we can watch the game. I'll I'll engage him in all these things, but uh, sharing the gospel, like telling him the gospel, you know, the gospel, God created all things. We can talk about creation. God created all things and then man rebelled. So we are rebels now. So what do... What do kings do with rebels? What do kings do with rebels? Ah, kings judge rebels. Kings destroy rebels, right? Yeah, but then Christ, because he loved us so much, because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to deal with the rebellion, because his justice has been violated, and therefore there's got to be someone who pays. So because God loves us so much, God loves rebels. That's a whole other story. But God loves rebels, so he sent his son to pay for this rebellion. And then after he pays for this rebellion so that everyone who calls on his name will be saved. From what? From the judgment that is coming. And guess what? This son, this king now will come back one day to make all things new. To bring all these people who are former rebels into eternity. And those who are still rebels, oh my, he's going to come and bring judgment. Yes, so that's the gospel. Uh, are you sharing that with any? I still am living the gospel. So why are you not sharing the gospel? Uh, because maybe my neighbor has their own faith. So... 
Yeah, I'm kind of looking at him. I don't looking at her, and I don't think they can really, they will really believe this gospel. Or maybe I'm looking at this neighbor. I don't offend them because you know the moment you tell someone to to repent, the moment you tell someone, you know what, you're a rebel whom God is going to judge. All of a sudden, this relationship can become very weird very quickly. So now we are such good neighbors. But now are we really going to be neighbors? Like, are we really going to be chatting the way we used to? Are you going to come over and watch the NBA finals with me? Now that I already called you a rebel and maybe you have not become a Christian. Therefore, I don't make things weird, is what my buddy said. Let me just pause there and ask you. Oh, dear Christian, Tri-City Church, are you sharing the gospel with your neighbor? Are you? It's a straight question. I know I've made it a little awkward for you, but I'll make it simple. Have you shared with the gospel with your neighbor? And if not, why? Why? See, look at verse 14 and what Paul will ask. How will they, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard. So yeah, we say, yeah, we want to live the gospel, meaning I want to live the implications. I want to live the implications of the gospel, but you never say anything. So Paul will ask, so how are they to call on him whom they've never believed, and how are they to believe in whom they've never heard, and how are they to hear unless someone preaches? And this preaching, the word preach there, means proclaim. So it could be proclaimed like I'm doing here, or it could mean proclaim when you invite someone around the table of a, a hot dog and you have a conversation of a burger, of a meal, of a appies as the game is playing. So how are they to know if we don't say anything is the question that Paul will pose. Let me give you two stories, very quick stories here. You can find these stories on Christianity Today, both of them. Phenomenal articles that I would encourage you to read. The first one. You just go to Christianity Today and Google, Becoming a Christian Ruined My Love for Christmas. Becoming a Christian Ruined My Love for Christmas. It was written by a lady called Kirsten Powers. Kirsten is a political analyst. You will see her on CNN. If you watch CNN, you will have seen her face. She's there regularly. She'll probably be there today. She's there very regularly. So Kirsten tells a very interesting story to summarize her story. She grew up in a broken family. Mom and dad divorced. So Christmas time, they'll bounce back and forth, bounce back and forth. Her mom, not a Christian. Dad kind of was like a cultural Christian sort of. So they would go to church some when they're with dad, never when they're with mom. So now she's in her first year of university. She's being taught all this philosophy. And then she's now wondering, is Christianity really true? Because what she's learning against what Christianity believes, ah, she's not sure. Phones dad, hey dad, is Christianity true? And dad is like, honey, I also have my own crisis because I'm wondering, you know, did the flood really happen? Like the whole world, was, was it really flooded? Yeah. 
did the crossing of the Red Sea really happen? And the Exodus story as it's told, did it really happen? So there are many things that dad was also having his own crisis of faith. Guess what Kirsten decided to do? Abandon Christianity. Christianity was a good fairy tale for people who are young, but people who are educated, eh. So she now dove into liberal arts and was involved in the democratic movement, the democratic party in the United States. And so all her friends were atheists, all her friends were liberal. And then she said, hey, you know what? If I'm going to date someone, I cannot be a religious person because those religious people are crazy. So she was like, no, I'm not going to date anyone who's not a Christian. But unbeknownst to her, there was this guy who's kind of, she fancied this, this guy. And so she said, seeing him, and this guy said, you know what? You should give, give Christianity a try. And she's like, what? Even you? But then she really respected this man. And so she decided to accompany him to church one day. And that church happened to be pastored by a guy called Timothy Keller. And if you know anything about Tim Keller, my goodness, he's a very persuasive preacher. So Kirsten kept on going to see Keller, and Keller would weave literature and poetry and, and, and history as he proclaimed Jesus. And Kirsten was just kept, like her heart was just hooked on this message. And she kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. And now her worldview was being rattled. So one day she goes to a community group, a care group where they were studying the Gospels, and then she finishes, she goes out, she's standing on the streets of New York City, looking at the sky and realizing the Gospel of Jesus is true. She became a Christian. How did she become a Christian? Because someone preached. Someone proclaimed from church. Now you may say, okay, yeah, but that was Tim Keller. I'll give you a second story. Second story again. Christianity Today will write, will, there will be an article there. Google my train wreck conversion. This one is worth the read. My train wreck conversion by a lady called Rosaria Butterfield. And by the way, there's a book that uh, is being sold out there by Rosaria Butterfield. One of her latest books, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a green book. It's way out. It was in the shelves over here. You can get it after the service. So Rosaria, Rosaria was a leftist lesbian professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. She was a tenured Lecturer. By that I mean a tenured a professor is one who has significant experience and significant knowledge in her field to the extent where now the university wants to make your position permanent. And with that comes all the accolades and the privileges and the respect from all your peers like people will know you're it in your field. So she is right there at the pinnacle of her career. She's just one step away from being tenured. But then she's looking at all this Christian mumbo jumbo and she's, she's looking at the Christian people and she's like, man, yeah, there's some things that the Christians believe in that I, things that they, are, they, they pursue like morality and things. I, I, I appreciate those pieces. But then there's this whole Jesus thing and some of the things they talk about is rubbish. So she wrote a scathing article against Christians. And after she wrote this article, posted in the local paper, she received uh, responses. So she had a pile of people who are in support of her and then hate mail. 
And then there was one letter from a guy called Ken Smith who just challenged her to think deeply about her presuppositions and also invited her to, why don't you come over over a meal in our home, we'll engage you. She crumbled the paper, threw it in the bin, went to think about it, but her conscience was like, yeah, go get this paper. So she goes, gets the paper, reads it again, the, the letter, she reads it again, and then she decides, okay, fine, I'll go. She visits Ken, and that began a good friendship between her and Ken and Ken's wife to the extent where now they began introducing each other to their friends. So Rosaria brought her partner, remember she's gay, she brought her partner over, and she's introducing her partner to Ken, Ken also introduces some of his friends, and they, they kept on meeting for dinner over a long period of around the kitchen table. They would talk about sexuality, talk about life, talk about faith, talk about all sorts of things while Ken continued to share Jesus and challenging her, read the Bible, read the Bible. She began reading the Bible. Her partner looks at her and says, Rosaria, the more you read the Bible, you're changing. And she looks at the partner and says, but what if it's true? And the more she's talking to Ken and reading the Bible, she's now shaking because her worldview is being challenged. But now if she becomes a Christian, what does she do with her position in the university? She is at the pinnacle of her career just about to be a tenured professor. But now if she says yes to Christ, everything she believes goes down the drain and that means the position is gone. What happens? She becomes a Christian. And she leaves the university. She's no longer a tenured prof. All that she had worked for, done. What's the point? It wasn't a preacher it was around a kitchen table. The point here is this, the voice of God is heard, the voice of God is heard, his extended hands are seen, and his patience is known when we open our mouths and preach, when we open our mouths and proclaim, when we open our mouths and tell people about Jesus, imploring them to be reconciled with God. The, patient, the, the voice of God is heard, his extended hands seen, his patience known. Every time you and I open our mouths, tell people about Jesus, imploring them to be reconciled to God. And when people hear this gospel, they will hear Christ calling them, inviting them, and drawing them into relationship. Do you believe that? Oh, brother and sister, I, I hope you believe that. The moment you tell people about Jesus now, Effective messages of the gospel are sent by God. Because again, the passage will say, again, verse 14, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear unless someone is preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Question, who is sending? Is it the church? Yeah, in some way the church may send you, but the person who sends is God. God is the one who sends people. Now you may say, God hasn't sent me, therefore I'm not going to speak. How about you don't say that? Say this, here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, Lord, send me. Now, there are various kinds of divine callings that we may say. Divine callings would be, God could be calling you or calling people into vocational Official ministry, like me, a pastor. So God is calling you to preach or to be a missionary. Let me pause here and say, Tri-City Church, I believe with all my heart that there are people here whom God is calling to be pastors of local churches in Canada, in this room right now. 
There is someone whom the Lord is calling to be a pastor here. There is someone whom God is calling to be a missionary. Where God is calling you to sell your house. And pack your bags. And bundle the kids. And go to some third world country somewhere. In South America, Africa, Asia. Places where the gospel hasn't reached. I believe with all my heart, someone here, God is calling. But there's always these excuses. But what, what about, what about, what about? If that is you, how about you talk to the pastoral team here. Talk to the elders here. And explore that call. There are many churches that need to be planted in Canada. There are many people around the world who have never heard the gospel. They've never heard the name Jesus. And the Spirit of God may be calling you right now. You don't know how. But God is probably calling you. To go. Now you may sit there and say, okay, but Ezra. I'm not called to, I don't sense a call to vocational ministry. That doesn't get you off the hook. It doesn't. Why? Because there are these spontaneous, occasional callings and sendings. Spontaneous, occasional callings and sendings. Like, how about you go across the office? Go across the street. If you're a parent with kids, and your kids are in soccer, whatever sport they're in, volleyball, whatever. How about you go across the field? You see, if you're a Christian... If you have Christ within you, you will experience this. Where God is going to nudge you to speak to that person whom you're seated beside on a transit. And share the gospel with this person. And so the prayer needs to be, Lord, here I am. Send me. Open my mouth with the gospel. May they hear and believe and call on your name so that they may be saved. So all of us are going. Some going to a pulpit like this, some working for a parachurch organization in our community, some moving to Quebec where the gospel is not there, and some going to somewhere around the world. We're all going. And some of us right next door. Next door. Because your neighbor next door is not here with you. They're not here with you because they don't believe. How will they believe unless you tell them? How? We will end with this. If, if you're feeling ill-equipped about going, how about you make yourself competent? How about you study the Bible? So, for example, David highlighted a book called Evangelism as Exiles. How about you grab that book and read it? How about you grab a book called What is the Gospel by a guy called Greg Gilbert and actually know what the gospel is and how we can interact with people. When you wonder, okay, so what if I share the gospel? What if people don't become Christians? I've shared the gospel with this person. They've never been a Christian. There's a story a pastor called Mark Dever shares of a man who, when he was in his 20s, went into a church, had the gospel, but really didn't believe, went on to live his life, got married, had kids, a full career, but not a Christian, not one iota. He did not even darken the door of a church. When he was 80 plus, seated underneath a tree, 
just thinking about the sum total of his life, under that tree he remembered this one church service he attended and remembered this pastor who shared the gospel one day. When he was in his 20s. So this is 60 years later. Under that tree, this eight-year-old becomes a Christian. Amen. So you don't know, just because a person did not say yes to Jesus today, does not necessarily mean that what you have shared is in vain. No, it is not. No, it is not. I'm wiping my nose because I'm, I'm emotional here. No, it is not. It does not mean that their story is over yet. We pray and share, pray and share. God is the one who saves, not you, not me. We pray and share, pray and share, pray and share. I'll end with verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The image here, Paul is quoting Isaiah 52, 7. Isaiah 52, 7, the image there is, imagine if Coquitlam and Abbotsford were fighting. So we are two nations, Abbotsford, Coquitlam. So you have your fortified city, Abbotsford has their fortified city, and each fortified city had a tower. And on top of the tower was someone who was an outlook, who would look with binoculars seeing. So our armies then, Abbotsford armies and Coquitlam armies would meet in Langley to fight. And they would often send a runner back to their respective cities with news of what's happening in the battlefield. So if you are losing casualties and you need more supplies, the runner will bring those news. Or if you're winning, the runner will bring news. So the one who is now looking the outlook because there's no Instagram... So the one who's looking is watching the runner coming. And how the runner is running will tell the person who's looking whether that is good news or bad news. If he's running like this, oh, this is good news. If he's running like this, it's not good news. <laughs> Here's the image. When Paul is saying how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, you and I are now, we know there's a king who's coming. And that king it will bring judgment. Jesus is coming again. This king will bring judgment. But then he's also given clemency to all who bow the knee. So all you have to do is bow the knee. Bow the knee. And you receive clemency. That is good news. Why? Because this king is coming and he will bring destruction on those who don't bow the knee. So the good news is, man, there is good news. The king is coming. We are all scared. But he will bring clemency. Bow the knee. That's good news. Tri-City, may we be people who bring good news. May our feet be beautiful in the Tri-City area. Let's pray. Father, we, f we commend ourselves to you. Fill us with your spirit, dear Lord. Fill your people here at Tri-City Church. Those whom you're calling to vocational ministry, would you draw them to yourself? And those whom you haven't called into vocational ministry, Lord, help us to say, here I am. Here we are, send us. Across the street, across the hallway, across the field, across the office. Lord, would you send us? And if we need to be competent in the gospel, Lord, help us to train well. Commend ourselves now to you, Father. Send us your church to do your work. And as we proclaim, Lord, would you draw men, women, and children to yourself. We commend ourselves to you in Jesus' name. And God's people said...